If you have a Bible uh, with you this morning, please turn to the book of John, or sorry, not the book of John, the book of Luke. I've been in it for a couple years, you would think I would know. The book of Luke, we were in John last week. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 20, right at the end of Luke chapter 20, I'm preaching through the, the gospel of Luke, this, uh, this book of facts about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Luke wrote this book to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus knew some things about Jesus, and uh, Luke wanted Theophilus to know, to be certain about Jesus, so Luke wrote this very long letter to Theophilus so he would be certain about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 20. We're going to be reading uh, starting in verse 45, and we're going to read into chapter 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 4. We'll be starting in Luke 20, verse 45. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for uh, your incredibly marvelous, wonderful love uh, poured out to us through the, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We do believe that's where uh, your love is demonstrated, at the cross. And we thank you for the love that you have demonstrated for us. And, and we thank you, Father, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can now work through this book, your word, and do amazing things in our hearts. So we ask, Father, that you would do it now for your glory and our good We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And in the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to the disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Amen. At this point in the book of Luke, Jesus is in Jerusalem, just a couple days from his death now. He's been teaching very large crowds there in the temple, and the religious leaders have been verbally attacking Jesus, trying to, trying to trap him and find a reason to put Jesus to death But Jesus has escaped their verbal traps, and Jesus has recently just silenced the religious leaders. Luke 20, 40 said that the religious leaders now no longer dared to ask Jesus any questions, but Jesus has now gone on the offensive against them. And in this passage here, Jesus absolutely blasts the religious leaders, rebukes them, And Jesus then looks up and sees this widow and makes a comment about her offering. And I believe that Luke intended for these two little stories here to be read and considered together. 
In our English Bibles, there's a chapter break between the two stories, but the chapter breaks were not there in the original manuscripts, and you have to be careful with those chapter breaks because those chapter breaks can occasionally break up the writer's flow of thought in a very unnatural way. I don't think Luke was giving us here two little separate and unrelated stories. No, I think Luke intended for us to read and consider these two stories stories together. All the way through the book of Luke, all the way through this book, Luke has been giving us these sharp contrasts between two things, a younger prodigal son and an elder bitter son, a a rich man and, and a poor man named Lazarus, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And I think Luke has just given us another sharp contrast right there between two things, these scribes and this widow. With these two stories here, I think Luke has just given us a little tiny snapshot of true and false religion. A little picture of a true or authentic relationship with God and a false or counterfeit relationship with God. And the first thing we see here is false religion. A a false or counterfeit relationship with God. And we see that in these scribes here. These scribes here had a religion of outward appearance only. An, an, an external appearance of godliness, but no internal heart of godliness. They were all show and no substance. You ever get a great looking package on Christmas morning? Uh, it's wrapped just right, and man, you just know there is something seriously good inside of that package, and then you open it, and you find something like soap on a rope, or, or, or you know, this nasty Christmas sweater with a reindeer on it. Um, thank you very much. Uh, you shouldn't have. No, you, you really shouldn't have. <laughs> and, and that's kind of like the scribes. The, the scribes, they, they, they were a great-looking package, but no real substance inside the package. And Jesus blasts them for it here, publicly. Luke says there in verse 45 that Jesus spoke to his disciples here. So just picture a big crowd. Some of those people are disciples. Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples. But Luke says here that Jesus spoke in the hearing of all of the people. Loud enough for everyone here, including the scribes there, to hear what he was going to say. And Jesus starts with this. Disciples, beware of the scribes. I think Jesus is probably uh, addressing all of the religious leaders in Israel at this point, but the scribes were the last ones to ask him a question here in the temple and try to trap him. Disciples, beware of the scribes. The scribes in Jesus' day were supposedly the experts in the Old Testament law. They were the Bible scholars, and they were considered by most Jews to be some of the most spiritual men in Israel. Probably quite a few scribes around Jesus on this occasion, and Jesus rebukes them here publicly for several different things. 
One says, beware, disciples of the scribes, for they like to walk around in long robes. And don't worry, Jesus is not going to rebuke you just because you wear a long robe tomorrow morning. No, these scribes wore these long robes called stoli. They were very long, fancy, very expensive, religious robes decorated at the bottom with blue tassels or fringe. Now, the Old Testament commanded all Jewish men to wear tassels on their garments, which were supposed to remind them to obey God's commands, but the scribes made their tassels extra long and extra ornate in order to draw attention to themselves. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 5, that the scribes made their fringes long to be seen by others. And they liked walking around town in their scribal robes because the Jewish people would see them in their robes and then then show them all kinds of respect, revere them, honor them for supposedly being very pious and devout. And the scribes loved the respect they received from their fellow Jews. And two, Jesus says the scribes also loved greetings in the marketplace. (laughs) You know, if a common Jew back then saw a religious leader out in public in a marketplace or something, you see this scribe in Target, uh, the, the common Jew was expected to give that leader some sort of elaborate greeting. You, you couldn't just look at the scribe and say, good afternoon, scribe. No. <laughs> the Talmud says that you had to give some sort of extended greeting. <laughs> good afternoon, Rabbi Eliezer, glorious doctor of the Torah, storehouse of proverbial axioms, son of Amos, son of Saul, and so on. No lie. That's the type of stuff. Those are the types of greetings that the scribes receive from people in public on a daily basis. And Jesus says here, they loved the greetings. They loved to be seen by men. To be praised by men in the presence of other men. Number three, Jesus says the scribes also loved the best seats in the synagogues. And the best places of honor at feasts. And they had this whole seating system back here in first century Israel. Uh, The best seats were always up front or right next to the host if there was one. And those seats were often reserved for the scribes as a show of respect for the scribes. And Jesus says the scribes loved those seats. Just loved, I'm sure, the respect that went along with those seats. And man, you can picture it, a scribe arriving to a synagogue meeting fashionably late, I'm sure, and casually sauntering down the middle row and taking his seat up front, just loving the fact that every eye in the joint was on him. Number four, Jesus says the scribes also devoured widows' houses. It's difficult to know exactly what the scribes were doing there. Picture a scribe actually eating a widow's house. No, probably not literally eating it. Uh, But they were somehow taking advantage of the widows there in 
Israel, defrauding them in some way of their homes or of their property or or of their inheritance, stealing from them somehow, most likely. And man, the widows in Israel were some of the poorest and neediest people around. Weak and vulnerable, often dirt poor, completely dependent upon society for help, and the scribes were somehow devouring their homes. A pack of wolves growing fat off of wounded sheep. And five, Jesus says, the scribes also made long prayers. Nothing inherently wrong with a long prayer. I'm sure God would like some of you to make longer prayers. (laughs) But it wasn't just the fact that the scribes made long prayers. No, Luke says right there, Jesus says that these guys made long prayers for a pretense. For a show. For the sake of appearances. Jesus says in the book of Matthew that these men love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners and pray to be seen by others. These very, very godly sounding public prayers, but they were just to impress people. And you put all of those things together, and what do you get with these scribes here? You get an external appearance of godliness but no internal heart of godliness. All show and no substance. Man, a decent looking package on the outside, but no real substance inside the package. No real relationship with God. A false or a counterfeit religion. A religion of hypocrisy. Doing all of these really godly looking things, but not ultimately doing them for God, but for the praise of men. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about wolves in sheep's clothing, and there they are. Looking like sheep on the surface, and yet wolves at heart. And listen, the scribes probably did not know that they were wolves. That they didn't know that they were hypocrites. No, they thought they truly were godly, obeying the commands of God. Most of the Jewish people thought they were godly. But they weren't. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And Jesus says to his disciples here, beware of the scribes. Beware. Be on guard. Be, be, be on the alert for the scribes. And man, Jesus wasn't just telling his original followers to be aware of the scribes. He was telling all of his followers. He was telling all of his followers here in this room, beware of the scribes. And when Jesus tells us here to beware of the scribes, I think he's probably saying a couple of different things to us. One, watch out, disciples. Watch out for for the hypocritical scribes who will live around you in this world and may even live among you. Watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. Listen, Hypocritical scribes like, like that in like those in that passage that they, they didn't all die out in the first century. 
No, they're, they're still around today, these godly-looking people on the surface who under the surface possess no true godliness. And do you know where the scribes are right now? Church. Church. They're now sitting in churches all over the world. People who profess to be Christians. They've been baptized, but God has never truly removed their heart of stone. That they've never truly turned away from sin in repentance. They do not truly trust in and follow Christ as their supreme Savior and Master. They look like sheep and even think they are sheep. But they're wolves in sheep's clothing, false Christians. And why would Jesus say beware of these people? Here's one reason. Because scribes like that can do some serious damage to churches like this. Do you realize that most of the damage that's done to churches in our world is not done by believers outside the church who persecute the church and things like that? No, most of the damage that's done to churches in our world, it's done by unbelievers inside the church. False Christians who destroy the church from the inside out. The the enemy in the camp, so to speak. People look look good on the surface and yet inside are still puffed up with fleshly and and yet very religious-looking pride. And they carry all the sins of pride into the camp. A a very holier-than-thou judgmentalism. Self-righteousness, always looking down their nose at other people in the church. Always grumbling about different things, complaining about different things, causing division, causing dissension, no real submission, and doing the vast majority of the godly looking things they do, not ultimately for God, but for the praise of men. Churches are destroyed by wolves in sheep's clothing. Destroyed by them. And Jesus says here, beware of the scribes, disciples. Watch out. Watch out for the hypocritical scribes who live around you in this world and may even live among you. Watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. But man, when Jesus tells his disciples here to to beware of the scribes, I think he's also probably warning us to watch out for scribal tendencies in our own hearts. Because listen, it's not just the false Christians of the world who commit hypocritical sins like these scribes here. No, every single Christian in this world, every single Christian in this room still has this sinful tendency inside to commit hypocritical sins like these scribes right here. We've all done it. 
Lots of times, and if you say you haven't, you're blind or a liar. (laughs) We've all done it lots of times. Now, if you are a true Christian, a genuine follower of Christ, well, you're forgiven for your hypocritical sins. Praise God for that. And God does not see you as he sees the scribes here in this passage. He does not see you, Christian, as a hypocrite through and through. No, he sees you as his child. That's what you are, Christian. But listen, every single genuine child of God still has this little hypocritical scribe running around inside. Every Christian has a sinful tendency inside to commit these types of hypocritical sins, a sinful tendency to do godly-looking things, not ultimately for God, but for the praise of men, putting on some sort of religious show to impress people, doing certain things to impress people, saying certain things, Praying in a certain way to impress people. (laughs) Man, you hear a Christian pray a thousand times in private, and he sounds somewhat normal. (laughs) And then you take that same Christian, and you get him up in front of a group, and have him pray in front of a group, and he suddenly sounds like a 16th century Puritan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be thy name in all of thy magnanimous magnificence. What is that? Oh my, I'll tell you what it is. That's the hypocritical scribe in you. You didn't do it for God. You did it for people. Because deep inside, you still love the praise of men. We've all done it. We do it regularly, these things where we're, we're, we're constantly putting ourselves forward. Look at me. Look at how much I know. Look how many books I read. Look how, look how I pray. It's, it's pride in you, Christian. It's hypocrisy in you, Christian. Beware of the scribes, disciples. Beware of the false Christians, the the, the wolves in sheep's clothing, sure. But also beware, disciples, of the scribal tendencies in your own heart because they are there. And amen. Why should we be so watchful when when it comes to these these hypocritical uh, sins of the scribe? Well, why should we be so hostile or, or so watchful? Here's one reason because God hates hypocrisy. He hates it. Man, did you. Did you happen to catch what Jesus said to the scribes here at the very end of his rebuke? Look, look at the very last sentence of chapter 20 again. Jesus says to his disciples, they, the, these scribes here, disciples, they will receive the greater judgment. And man, that, that's an amazing statement. When Jesus returns to this earth a second and, and final time, the hypocritical scribes of this earth, those, those who are hypocrites to, to the core, the, the false Christians of this world, 
they will receive a greater condemnation. They will receive a greater judgment than all of the other lost people in this world. Now man, if you truly do trust in Christ here this morning, you will ultimately receive no condemnation when Christ returns, even though you've committed hypocritical sins. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're a Christian, you do not now live under condemnation, and you will not receive any condemnation when Jesus comes again. But listen, those who do not truly trust in Christ in this life, they will receive condemnation when Christ returns, and out of all of the unbelievers throughout the history of the world who will receive condemnation on that day, those who will receive the greatest condemnation, the harshest harshest judgment, will be the hypocrites of this earth. The, the The false Christians who lived in and around the church. Listen, when when Christ returns, he, he will judge people according to what they knew in this life. And hypocrites living in and around the church, they know so much. And they will therefore be held to a stricter judgment. God hates hypocrisy. Do, do, do you realize that, 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 that Jesus rebuked hypocrisy more than any other sin? Do you realize that? J.C. Ryle said, No sin seems to be regarded by Christ as more sinful than hypocrisy. None certainly drew forth from his lips such frequent, strong, and withering condemnation during the whole course of his ministry. Wow. Jesus rebuked hypocrisy more than he rebuked any other sin. And listen, I I wonder sometimes how many Christians actually get that. You know, a lot of Christians seem to think that the worst sins that are committed on this earth, well, they're committed by the lost out there who have no connection to the church. Those are the sins that deserve the greater judgment. And you can hear it, just these Christians blasting the lost out in the world um, for, for the sins they're committing. And yet, you know what? Jesus typically didn't blast the lost out there for their sins. Jesus blasted hypocrites. Not people out there. People in here. God God hates hypocrisy. He hates it. Hates the hypocrisy in in a Christian's heart, but man, really hates the hypocrisy of false Christians. So that's that's one thing we see here in this passage. A a false religion, a a false or a counterfeit relationship with God. And, And the second thing we see here is true religion. A true or an authentic relationship with God. And we see that in this widow here. (laughs) These scribes here. 
These scribes here, man, they, they, they were all show and, and, and no substance. An external appearance of godliness, but no internal heart of godliness. And this widow here is almost the exact opposite. <laughs> this widow, she has almost no external show of godliness. She doesn't have a nice religious robe. I'm sure she didn't, make just, uh, j- didn't just make a long public prayer. You know, she, she doesn't have, she's not receiving from people all kinds of elaborate greetings. Not even a big offering from her. <laughs> Almost no external show of godliness here, and yet lots of internal substance. A very meager external appearance of godliness, but an internal heart of godliness. A heart of deep love and devotion for God. True religion. Philip Ryken says, Luke is giving us another one of his brilliant contrasts here. This widow's piety provides the perfect counterexample to the hypocrisy of the scribes. When set against the backdrop of the scribes, this widow stands out like white lace on black velvet. (laughs) This widow is the antithesis of these scribes here. (laughs) You ever get a not-so-great-looking gift on Christmas morning? (laughs) Kind of small. Uh, My my grandmother used to try to convince me that uh, the best gifts came in small packages, but man, I knew my drum set didn't come in there. <laughs> I knew my bike wasn't in there. I didn't like small packages. So you get this package, kind of small, shoddy wrapped, you know, it ain't much, and you open it up and there's a $100 bill, diamond ring, keys to a new car. Well, that's kind of like the widow. Not much of an external package. Lots and lots of substance inside the package. If you look at Luke 21, 1 again, Jesus just rebuked these scribes. And now this happens. Luke then says, Jesus looked up right then and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And just pause there for a second. Get the picture here. This is Passover time. Okay, this is when all the people in Israel were required to come to Jerusalem to pay their vows to God. This temple here was probably packed with people. And the Jews would give their monetary offerings there at the temple. In, in one of the temple courts, which Jesus can obviously see right here, there were these 13 brass chests they were called the 13 trumpets because they looked like horns. Very narrow at the top, and then they opened up much larger at the bottom. And the, the Jews would drop their freewill offerings into those chests. And Jesus lifts his head up right here after rebuking the scribes and sees all these rich people giving their offerings. And just picture it. I imagine that, that, that some of those rich people were probably giving their offerings with a little bit of flair. 
dragging these bags of money into the temple, you know, all these coins. Ooh, hey, buddy, can you help me with this? Because this is heavy. Uh, this is a huge offering I got right here. And walking up to this chest and dropping the coins in one at a time. Clink, 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 clink. Hey, man, might want to step over to the other line because I'm going to be here a long time. <laughs> man, it's, it's, it's a... Kind of like the uh, guy in church services who stops the offering plate every Sunday when it passes, not because he forgot to write his check, but because he wants you to see him write his check. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm holding up the line here. Wait, hang on. Lots of zeros I got to write here. Hang on. Or maybe the rich people here just kind of poured all their coins in at once. Crashing sound of coins dropping in this chest. The crowd gasping in amazement at all as all these coins dropped. And then this little widow approaches. Poor and needy in Israel. Tattered clothes maybe. Dirty. Nobody but Jesus probably seeing her. And she drops two coins into the chest. The Greek word is the word lepton. A lepton was the smallest of all Jewish coins. The Greek word lepton, it literally means peeled or fine. Which indicates a very thin little coin. A lepton was worth about six minutes of labor for an average laborer. This coin was worth almost nothing. Coins probably made very little sound when they dropped into the chest. Nobody gasped in amazement. Nobody nobody showed her any type of respect. Virtually unnoticed. Hardly a blip on the radar screen. But Jesus saw her. And and Jesus didn't just see her. Jesus saw her heart. (laughs) 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Jesus sees this widow's heart here, sees the thoughts and intents of her heart. Jesus sees her entire life here. Knows everything about this widow, and Jesus says this. If you look at verse 3 again, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And Jesus sees this widow's entire life here. He, he sees her, sees her offering, sees the heart behind the offering, and he says, she gave more than anyone. She gave more than anyone. That widow, you missed her. Did you see her? She gave more than anyone. Why? Because they, they all gave out of their abundance. They gave gave out of their excess, out of their, their surplus, out of their overflow. They didn't need the money they put in the chest. But she did. She did. She gave out of, out of her need. 
She gave out of her poverty, gave all that she had to live on. The Greek there could literally be read like this. She gave her entire life to God right there in the temple in the form of those two coins. Man, we learn, we learn some important things there about giving. Number one, Jesus sees what you give. He sees it. He sees it. No, nobody else in the temple there probably saw this widow give her offering. Jesus saw it. He sees everything. One of the things I do with my kids in, in our family devotion time is we'll go over the Westminster Shorter Catechism for children, just teaching them the basic beliefs of the Christian faith. And, and one of the questions says, can you see God? And my kids know the answer. No. But he always sees me. Jesus sees everything, sees you, sees your gift, sees, sees, sees your heart behind your gift. Jesus sees what you give. But listen, number two, Jesus also sees what you don't give. Jesus sees what you keep for yourself. Jesus saw the gifts that these wealthy people were giving here, but Jesus also saw how much they were keeping for themselves, a lot. He knew that these gifts here were just the overflow of the abundance of the abundance that they had kept for themselves. And Jesus saw this widow's gift here and also saw how much she was keeping for herself. Nothing. Jesus sees what you give. But Jesus also sees what you don't give. He sees what you keep for yourself. And man, we all probably need to stop and consider that because a lot of us probably tend to keep quite a bit for ourselves. You know, you can feel pretty good about yourself if you give $10,000 a year. But you make $200,000 a year. And Jesus sees the $190,000 that you keep for yourself. You can feel pretty good about yourself because you gave 50 grand last year. But you made 500 grand. And Jesus sees the $450,000 that you keep for yourself. And let me ask you, do do you think God gave you a $500,000 salary last year so you could keep $450,000 for yourself? And I know where we want to fall with that. Well, it's 10%, man. It's 10%. It's a tithe. Let me challenge that. Tithe is an Old Testament thing, okay? So let's start there. 10% tithe. A lot of Christians walk away and think, well, I should just give 10%. Really? You got the Spirit of God inside of you and God tells you to be a generous giver? Now I can see you giving 10% of your money if you make $30,000 a year and you give $3,000 so you can live, you and your family, on the rest. But are you going to tell me you make $1 million a year, you give away 100000 you keep nine hundred grand for yourself and that's Okay. Jesus sees what we give, but man, he, he sees 
also what we keep. And number three, and this is important, Jesus judges your giving not just according to... Let me, let me rephrase. Jesus judges your giving not according to the amount you give, but according to the amount that you keep. <laughs> the rich people here gave large amounts of money and we would be tempted to be very impressed with that. Wow, great. And that is good, but Jesus judged their gifts according to the amount they kept for themselves. And he said, not that big of a gift for you to give. And man, this widow here gave a very small amount of money. We might not even notice it, but Jesus judged her gift according to the amount that she kept for herself. And he said, that's a huge gift for you to give. And you may give $10,000 a year, but if you're keeping $190,000 for yourself, probably not that big a gift in the eyes of Jesus. But if you give $10,000 a year and you're keeping only $30,000 for yourself, for you and your family to live on, that is a bigger gift in the eyes of Jesus. Jesus judges your giving not according to the amount you give, but according to the amount that you keep. And man, a, a final thing we learn right here about giving is this. Number four, what you give and what you keep reveals your heart. What you give and what you keep reveals your heart. Your money talks. Your, your, your money, what, what you give, what you keep, it's a window into your heart. In Luke 12, 34, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What you do with your money, with your possessions, it's a clear indication of that which is truly in your heart. And man, we can see that here in this passage. You think about these scribes again here for just a second. These scribes here, Jesus took the time to say, these scribes devoured widows' homes. They were somehow defrauding widows of the, their houses, of their property, of their inheritance, probably stealing from them. Translation, they were greedy with money. That they were covetous. They were hoarders of money. And what they did with money was an indication of that which was in their hearts. It was an indication that there was a serious problem in their hearts, an indication that they had no real relationship with God. But, but this widow here, think of it, the widow, the very type of person that the scribes were defrauding. <laughs> this, this widow here, she wasn't greedy with money, not covetous, not a hoarder of money, keeping lots for herself. No, she gave. She gave a radical generosity. Only two coins, but man, it was all she had, 100% tithe. And what this widow did here with money was an indication of that which was in her heart. It was an indication, indication that her heart had truly been gripped by God. Her radical generosity was an indication that she had a real, authentic, genuine relationship with God and a deep down love for God. Man, that right there with this widow, that's the type of stuff that happens when God comes into your life 
and he truly takes control of your heart, man, that person falls in love with God. And then you begin to see that person growing in radical generosity for God. That person's heart is with God now and their treasure begins to follow. Going more and more to God. That's what happens when God comes into your heart and makes you Christian. Removes your heart of stone and leads you to repentance and leads you to genuine faith in Christ. You fall in love with Christ and you begin to grow in a radical generosity for Christ. That's just the way it works. You realize that Jesus has given everything for you. And because of his love for you, you begin to give for him and for other people. The cross, man, it frees up your money. Generosity in equals generosity out. And your generous giving for Christ reveals your heart. Your money talks. The scribes were incredibly greedy. An indication that they had a false relationship with God. But this widow was incredibly generous. Lavishly giving to God. An indication that she had a true relationship with God. And once again, man, here in the book of Luke, we see the great reversal of the Christian faith. Those who appear to have everything on the surface actually have nothing. And those who appear to have nothing actually have everything. True and false religion. And Man, one of the main lessons of these two stories here is this. Looks can be very deceiving. Very deceiving. One person can look great on the outside, all the right religious bells and whistles, a long robe, dress like a, a respectable, conservative Christian, a long prayer, praying in, in 16th century King James English, the best seat in the synagogue. Everybody in the synagogue respects that person so much, they give them the best seat in the house. Looking great on the surface and yet under the surface having absolutely nothing. And on the flip side, man, a person looks like nothing on the outside. Dressing the wrong way. You don't dress like that in a church service. (laughs) Praying the wrong way. Who taught you how to pray? You don't use thee and thou. So under-respected in the synagogue that nobody even knows the person is there. A blip on the radar screen. Looking almost like nothing on the surface and yet under the surface having everything. Looks can be very deceiving. You can't always judge a book by its cover. But here's the thing. Jesus is not deceived by your cover. He is not deceived by your looks. At all. Man looks on the outward appearance but God Jesus sees your heart. And Jesus wants you to look at your heart today. Do not be deceived by your great-looking religious covering. Jesus wants you to see your heart. What's in your heart? A genuine faith in Christ? Or nothing? You know, one way you can tell what, 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 what you see, what is in your heart, you know, one way you can tell, look at your checkbook. Look at, look at your checkbook. Are you growing toward a radical generosity for Christ because of what he's done for you? 
loving to give till it hurts at times? Or are you just content to skim a little off of your abundance and hoard the rest for yourself? Now, if you're a hoarder right now, that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a false Christian. It might. Not necessarily. You could be a genuine Christian and just really need to be sanctified in that area. But if you are a hoarder of your things, of, of, of possessions and wealth, it, it does indicate that there is a problem in your heart. You either need to be sanctified or you need to be saved. And the good news is that Jesus died to save hoarders. Jesus died to save hypocrites, like the scribes here in this passage. So man, if you look at your heart today, and you say, that's me, I'm the scribe there, I'm a hoarder, I'm a hypocrite to, to the core. If that's you, come to Christ. Just come to Christ. He saves hoarders, he saves hypocrites. Come in faith, and, and he'll forgive you right now. And then he'll begin to work in your heart and life to change you, so you don't walk in as much hypocrisy, and you don't hoard your stuff the rest of your life. So man, may God help us to see our hearts today, to see through the deception of our looks. May God help us to see what's truly in our hearts, help us to come to Christ in faith. And then may God continue to expose the sin in our lives and conform us every day more and more to the image of Jesus. So Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we do ask right now in the name of Jesus, you would shine the light of your Holy Spirit into all of our hearts. Father, I know you have shown me areas this week where I am keeping so many things to myself and committing sins of hypocrisy. And I thank you for the forgiveness I have in Christ. You love me. And you've given me your Holy Spirit so that I might be conformed to the image of Jesus. Just pray you'd help all of us to see our hearts today. To see hypocrisy. To see where we're hoarding things for ourselves. And Lord, may we be empowered to come to Christ. To trust in Christ. To follow Christ and give lavishly for Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.